My name is Robert Schreiner, and I've just written a novel called The Wolves and the Greyhounds, and you're listening to The Jay Franzi Show. Welcome to The Jay Franzi Show, a behind-the-curtain look at the entertainment industry with insights you can't pay for and stories you've never heard. Now, here's your host, Jay Franzi. Well, hello there, my fellow entertainment junkie. Welcome to the show. I am Jay Franzi, and this is your backstage pass to the entertainment industry. This week, we get to talk with an author and a filmmaker. We get to talk with Tyler Schwanke. We'll talk to him about his approach to creating creative narratives, how he feels about creating theater of the mind, and we'll take a deep look at his book, Breaking In. Now, Tyler is an amazing writer, and I can't wait to talk with him tonight. So if you'd like to join in, comment, or fire off any questions, please head over to jfranzi.com. Now, let's get started. Tyler, sir, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Jay? I am fantastic. I am so excited to have you here. I am looking forward to this. Same here. Yeah, appreciate it. Why don't we just go ahead and jump in? Can you tell me what your approach is to creating compelling narratives? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it can really differ, right, from day to day. Is it a plot that's going to get me motivated? Is it going to be a character, you know, somebody that has different avenues or quirks that, that I have or people that I see? And then kind of whether or not it's starting with a plot, starting with a character, sometimes you kind of have an idea of like a theme, but I always say it's best not to write for theme. Kind of let those come out, right? Let those those different drafts kind of tell you what your story is actually about, you know, uh, as opposed to you forcing theme into it. But uh, so for me, it's starting with starting with plot. It's starting with characters. It's starting with the question: What if this happened? And then from there, really figuring it out and trying to to figure out in a way where. It's not so obvious to, to me. A lot of times it's it's not. I'll go into a story with a plan, with an outline, and very rarely is that the finished product. You know, there might be a, a shadow of it. Sure. But I think a, a lot of times if you are, if everything is working kind of on a different level when it comes to to the characters, if you're, if you're serving your characters as opposed to like plot, right. You know, and if you're letting your characters and their motivation move the story forward, then usually, even if you get to a point where you're, you're outlined, you're like, this isn't really working because your characters have taken you there. The answer, the ending, the final, right. That all populates that forms. You start to see that you work on that more and more. And then that's when, the story kind of unfolds. So it's really just kind of going through those layers to find out what your story is actually going to be about and to make sure that it, it is compelling. You pick, you know, and I think a lot of that too is as you're writing, right, you go through the drafts, you start trimming the fat. Was that famous Elmo Leonard quote that I'm going to butcher that I, <laughs> right? But, uh, you know, like uh, take out the boring parts, take out the parts that people tend to skip. 
So try to look at that, right? And kind of what is serving my story, what's serving the uh, the plots, and then also making sure that you're not taking away too much, right? Where you're just plot oriented and then you're losing really what those characters are. And I think for me, that's been not a revelation, but as I've written more and more, started in screenplays, went to novels, I've always been a really big kind of plot guy. I love plot, but it's been working on those characters and even kind of taking the plot and going, okay, what's the best character to throw into this plot, right? Like, who is this not made for? That's who we should make the story for and kind of go from there. (laughs) Well, on that note, can you kind of describe what your process is then when it comes to an outline? Yeah, so I... What I will do is I have the Blake Snyder beat sheet. So for those that don't know, Blake Snyder was a screenwriter that wrote a very popular series of books called Save the Cat. And so when I was in film school, I read a story by Robert McKee. I I read a bunch of screenwriting. I read how to write a novel, how to write your first novel, pretty much anything and everything. So Save the Cat is how to write screenplays. And it's uh, if you read it, it basically tells you anywhere from Godfather to Fievel Goes West is essentially the same story. Like there are, obviously there's different uh, <laughs> uh, ones, like Corleone, the, the, the other is a mouse. But, you know, you have your inciting incident. You have your moment of debate, right, where the character, can I do this? You know, it's the acceptance, it's moving into act two, it's all that kind of stuff, right? So I start with that and I will play around with that for about three to six weeks or so, kind of really just kind of tooling around. And while I'm doing that, I should say before I even get to the outline part, I have a notebook that I come up with all my I know who my characters are going to be. I know who at least the the my protagonist is going to be. I know my antagonist. I usually have an idea of the supporting characters and some plot lines. So first thing I do is I go online and I start just Googling like actors and, and, and people that kind of are in my mind what I think these characters will look like. And then I will start printing and I'll start cutting up and pasting. And sometimes it'll be a, you know an actor's whole face. Sometimes it'll just be their eyes, their hair, whatever. And then this way I can kind of see them for what I think they're going to look like. And I, for my descriptions, I always try to not give it like too much detail where it's like, you couldn't possibly think of anybody else but this person, right? You know, let's let the, the reader kind of visualize them with some, you know, some good details. But so I come up with my characters and then I write, I work on my backstories for the characters. Not every single one that has, you know, speaks, but especially for my my uh, my protagonist is, you know, how do they view themselves? How do people view them? How does, does that differ? What's their proudest moments? What's their most shameful moment? of this will never come into play in the story, but it's for me to know who they are. And then that way, once I have my characters down, I get into the outline. I know what's motivating them. Now, again, that still changes from outline from draft to draft, 
because I'll get to know them better once I actually start, you know, putting words on the page and I can hear them speak. I can see how they interact. So once I've got the outline done, before I actually start writing, I do two things. One is I make a, a board, which is just what it sounds like. Note cards, push pins. I do it color coded based upon the point of view. Typically it's a multi multi point of view. So every character gets their own card. And then that way I can step back and see okay, it's supposed to be this person's story, but this person's talking more, or, you know, they have more scenes. So I'll work on, I'll work on, um, on the board. And then before, usually before I start writing, I will have some lack of a better term kind of chats with my characters. And what that means is I will put two or three of them in a room. I'll give them an argument. Uh, this isn't usually, it's not an argument that actually takes place in the story. It's just an argument and let them, speak and i just write for like 10 15 minutes i don't stop it's usually terrible there's no like kind of narrative thread or anything but i can start to see how they interact with each other i can start to see what their voices are or i can see if anything i can definitely tell what they're not going to sound like <laughs> right if it's not working but it's it's really that interaction my novel the main protagonist her name is Millie Blumquist. She's, she's 17. She has a film crew, but she turns into a heist crew. And so there's a lot of argumentative kind of structure within that. They're, they're, uh, they're young, they're teenagers. So there's a lot of kind of who's in charge and, and not wanting to give over that control. So there's a lot of back and forth between them. And I had a pretty good solid idea of like what I thought each of them were going to sound like. And I knew that one of them was going to be the um, comic relief and he was, but two of the other characters I thought one I thought was going to be really just kind of shy. The other one I thought was going to be more, I guess kind of a leader and the shy person was she's really brash in the novel. She <laughs> she's kind of like the um, takes no crap from anybody. The leader, he's kind of more passive, more kind of always looking for a way out. And so it was interesting just kind of how they how they took on their kind of a, a, their own mindsets and kind of became these characters that, that they wanted to be. And after a while, you just kind of let them be and, and, and let them evolve, because I think you know, that's what makes it more authentic. Well, you're talking about your book breaking in mm -hmm. and you're talking about the characters within and you mentioned earlier about visualizing what those characters are going to look like and yes. trying to put it together. Do you create any sort of vision board when it comes to that? Um, for breaking in, I did do, I, I don't know what you would call it. I guess like a, like a web, you know, where I put all, all the, all of the characters and then drew lines to like how the relationships are. Right. And then you can see at the, you know, at the end, everybody's pointing at Millie. She's to blame for everything. Of course. Uh, so, right. But, um, so I don't do so much a vision board. I do. So I'm a terrible drawer, like real bad. I, I, I just, yeah. And I draw movie posters or I guess it would be a book cover, but in my mind, it's a movie poster whenever I get started on a new project. So breaking in, I had the working title of Heist Flick because I couldn't think of anything better. My wife thought of breaking in. I will <laughs> fully give her credit for that. So, but I just, you know, I, I, I drew, uh, um, I think it was uh, like a film strip with a camera and then a girl swinging by. <laughs> that was the heist flick, right? So, and that for me, even though I am terrible at drawing, it just kind of puts me into 
kind of the the proper mindset, right? And it's it's more of um, you know, it it's it's good to know kind of like what your genre is and what your story is and and I think some people will say, well, don't write to that, right? Don't write what, you know, is like this formula. And I'm and I'm certainly by no means saying do that. But also like I love like thrillers, right? I love crime novels. I love heist movies. So I wanted all the things that I love about those different genres represented. So for me, I had to make sure that, you know, all of that was was incorporated. And, and it just kind of started with having a visual of this book cover, you know, and then I take a note card and I, I write out my, my log line, you know, so kind of like your elevator pitch. And that's so when I can go off on different tangents and storylines and stuff. And if I need to, I can say, what is this story really, really about? What is it all needs to get tied into? Or later on in editing, right? When I'm on the third draft and it's like, okay, I'm really starting to get this, but I'm on this, I'm on this scene. What do I do with this scene? Right. You know, and then does it fit in the overall, what your story is, is, is supposed to be about? And if not, does it serve the story or not? And if it doesn't, it gets cut. And, you know, usually scrapped for parts later on and, and, uh, other, other books. Well, as long as we're talking about the book, I believe it was later in the book, maybe, I don't know, maybe chapter eight, you were talking about the descriptions of the room they were in and how the lights flicker on the wall. And it, it basically created theater of the mind. Mm -hmm. So how important do you feel it is to create that theater of the mind? Yeah, I think so. For me, it's just giving the reader enough to paint that picture themselves, to to get invested. And I think this comes from from filmmaking. And it took me a while to figure out what it means for, like, what's the equivalent of like an insert shot is in writing. You know, like if you want some, if you want the audience to pay special attention to the, you know, the the shadow over the person's shoulder. You know, you frame it up and so, so, you know, that the audience can catch it. How do I do that with writing? So it was really just kind of taking a look at everything. And then and for myself, even just kind of, you know, visualizing the scenes and, you know, what is it that's really sticking out to me? And also, I think for me, it's it's what's visually sticking out to me that maybe can serve a bigger theme again don't write for theme but every once in a while if it naturally comes about jump on it right because <laughs> then it's see it, it's it, natural it, it's natural and it kind of does something to the subconscious of the reader where they, they 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 start to get these these feelings and they're not totally sure why and it's it's later on like oh it's because you're setting up these these kind of stepping stones to to where we're going but uh, as far as like the theater of the mind goes and and you, you know the, the visualization for me i think it's making sure that you have everything that is, is important you are giving it. And then it also comes with pacing. For me, pacing is so huge and something that I think is not overlooked, but definitely I think could be talked about more when it, when it comes to like, in like writing classes and, and, and writing and, and, you know, discussion and feedback is so much of the time, it's not so much the writing, it's there's too much or not enough. And it's just finding that right pace and finding, you know, for the reader. So, so that comes into a lot for me when I'm talking about, you know, specific rooms or descriptions. Let's make sure that it's enticing, it hooks the reader, gets them involved, 
but I don't want them ever to stop and think, oh, this is a really interesting description because that means they're out of the story and they're looking at my words and I look at my words a million times, <laughs> you know, they're not supposed to, you know, they're supposed to just kind of just keep moving, keep with that pace. Well, you mentioned pace a couple times in there. Can you give me an example of what makes a good pace? It really just comes down to what your objective is of the scene. So if it's something where you want, if you want a character to have more reflection on something that just occurred. So in those situations, you, you slow the pacing down, you have them zone in on more details than maybe they normally would. If it's uh, something that they've done and that, they didn't mean to do, or they're upset that they did, you know, so then it's, it's slowing it down. It's, it's uh, talking about their, their heartbeat. It's talking about what their internal sensations are. It's talking about what any physical sensations are, are happening. You kind of live in that mindset of the character. If it's something where it's an action uh, scene, so for me, again, it's, it's kind of making a list, what all needs to happen in here, what's enough where, it's intriguing and keeps the reader invested, but at the same time, they don't get lost in all my in all my directions in detail, right? I think that's a big thing too. Is you just don't want it to, you don't ever want novels to like read like stage directions, and and honestly, like <laughs> I think it's almost too close sometimes. Like when you're writing and especially like the action, you have to like stop back and and and. Again, I think a lot of that is coming at it from the the point of view, you know, of your protagonist, more reflection. So pacing does come a lot with kind of point of view. I, th I think those two can be, or they have to be really kind of in sync to be successful. Well, that's a good point. And as we talk about pacing and theater of the mind, and you're bringing up the stage, how important do you think it is for you to be a film director? I don't think it's required but I think it's it's been a nice kind of plus for for me in a sense of like visually. I think I'm a pretty strong visual writer and a lot of that comes from when you learn filmmaking, it's a visual medium. And so I've always been really cognizant that I want readers to have a visual experience when reading my books, which is tough to do when there's no pictures, right? So I want them to be able to, to be able to, to dive into it. Another thing I think that I've benefited greatly from filmmaking is that I am the kind of writer where when I'm working on a first draft, I can't allow myself to stop and keep and like go back and fix things or, you know, if you get an idea for something five chapters previously, I think in the past I might have gone back and, and reworked those and then reworked the other chapters. Right. And then I learned if you keep doing that, you can get stuck, right? You never move forward because you're working on your same first chapter. So if you're new to writing, please, I promise you, I'm not lying to you, but the first chapter will be the thing you will edit and rewrite the most because you don't even know your ending yet. And your, and your first chapter has to, has to somehow bookend the ending, either totally different or the same or, or, or what have you, but you will rewrite that first chapter over and over and over again. So for me, I've stopped going back and I just take notes as I go, but that first draft is just anything and everything. A lot of stuff 
gets cut from that due to pacing, due to just storylines that don't go anywhere. I just, I, I tend to overwrite, I tend to overplot. But then when I take that, I think this is what the filmmaker has really come in handy is. So before when we were working on the first draft, you have nothing. Now I've got like 150,000 words to play with, right? And I can rearrange and I can edit and cut and trim. And, and, and that for me is, you know, really drafts two and three are the most fun I have when it comes to, to writing. Uh, the first draft is, it's exciting because I know what the story is. I've got an outline. I've got characters that I'm really excited to, to get to know better and, and to see how they interact in these situations that, you know, I know are coming. It's really not until the second or really even the third when the first draft is more of just like a, a long list, a series of scenes. Right. And then by two draft two and three, you've really connected them. You've really cut them. You've really processed them and your story and your art has, is starting to take place. And for me, that's what's, you know, the most exciting part because then from there you can kind of just tool around a little bit here and there and then once you've got all that set then kind of the last draft is for the reader it's okay what's is there a twist is it a believable twist does it come at the right time send it out to my beta readers kind of get some feedback that stuff is super help, helpful find people you trust just always remember you know if you have two people say one thing Let's say if you have five beta readers and four out of five said this one thing doesn't work. It probably doesn't work. You should you should look at it. You know, if you have two and two, three and three, whatever, then the tie goes to the author. You decide. You know, if if, if you think. And I stole that from Stephen King. On writing is a fantastic book uh, that I would very much recommend to to. to New and old writers. I've read it a couple times. I read, read it when I started my MFA program, and I found it incredibly helpful. And I've read it a couple times since, and it's just, there's a lot of really good stuff just to kind of refresh your memory, especially if you're going into writing a, a longer work like a novel. Well, you've mentioned a couple things in there I want to make sure we touch on. One of them is editing. Mm -hmm. I come from the, the music world, and editing plays a key part. So how important do you feel editing is to your process and how do you approach it? Yeah, editing is paramount to to my process. It's um, honestly, I think that's really where, that's where the story begins. So for me, there's different levels when it comes to the editing. So basically from drafts one to two, so draft one, celebrate, great. I get to go buy a pack of cigarettes and smoke one of them and then I have to throw the rest away. <laughs> ex-smokers we have uh, goals we have goals that's right <laughs> so i take my first draft i take a list of um every you know uh, of all the ideas that i've thought about that i've wanted to incorporate but i didn't go back right because i've also learned that over the time sometimes you go back and you'll retool some stuff and then you'll be like ah this actually doesn't work as well <laughs> or if i just waited a little while then i probably wouldn't have even done it so I'd like to take my list of, you know, of suggestions that I've made to myself and go, okay, so I'm going to read the whole first draft. I try to do it straight through, but like I said, sometimes my first drafts are like 150,000 words, which is like 600 pages. That's just too much to read in one day. So usually I do it over two days. I'll split it in half. 
but first I'll read my, my notes, uh, kind of what I'm thinking uh, on, on what's in my head. And then I will read that first half and we'll say, okay, from that, I've got all new notes now. And half of the stuff that I wrote down, I don't think comes into play. But you know, the other half, I think actually would be, you know, was it good a suggestion, improves, you know, whatever it may be. It might be a character trait. It might be a story point. It might be a, an arc, what have you. And then really from, from there, I will make another kind of master list. Once I've read everything, make a master list of suggestions, put them in order based upon the acts. I print that out and then I set to work again. So breaking in is told in six parts. So what I do basically is, is take each part and then retool it as I go. The smaller sections when I'm working in like your normal chapters, then I'll for draft two, I'll start looking at the chapters, what's staying, what can be deleted, what's staying essentially, but needs to be rewritten. Uh, either for the action that takes place in the scene or the character's motivation. A lot of times it's it's uh it's it's character traits and, and motivation that for me I think changes in between drafts or I'll read it and, and they'll think, okay, well the character Really, this is his objective, but now that I've written a whole draft of it, I think this is his objective. So I'm going to go back into it and, and, and come from it from, from that approach. The novel that I have on submission right now, I went through and did a final rewrite and just kind of like looked at my main character, my main character in, in, in the book that I'm that I have on submission now is a journalist. He's a, a failed, disgraced documentary filmmaker so he's trying to to tell this story but also there's a little bit of he wants to um get back in and in, in the public's good grace right he 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 wants to revive his career so taking these different objectives and kind of putting them into more into play as as i'm going through the drafts you know, that strengthens it because it's all tied back to character. So, so that's a big one too, is when you're editing, editing for character, making sure that their motivations are coming through and making sure they're not getting lost in all the stage direction. What kind of challenges do you have when you're doing that? A lot of it is just trying to remember, you know, keep everything straight, try to keep, because, because motivations change, right? Um, you know, as your story progresses and they should. So, making sure that it's not where it's too much of the changes or, and, and, and what the care is experiencing are negatives in the story. So, so that's a big challenge for me. <laughs> so so the, the, the draft that I have on submission now, like two drafts before it was just like, it was super depressing because like everybody died, like everybody died. I can say that now because like not everybody dies, but I bet you like, 12 characters like maybe not that many but it was a lot and for me i think it was just a it was a sense of okay well this makes for a really awesome dramatic scene but looking when you start pairing those those scenes up right making a series of it it starts to be too one-sided it wasn't the kind of story i wanted to tell so so that can be a challenge is when you're having to go in and you're working on a 
you know, a scene or a section, a chapter, however you want to divide it, you know, and then putting that into place into a larger story, what comes before it, what comes after it, you know, just like you said with music, you know, there's all these different things. So you have, you know, like the vocals, the lyrics, the instruments, right? So you have, you have your themes, you have your character objectives, you have your, your plots, you have your motivation. So keeping all of this straight. And then also when you're changing a scene for your character's motivation, but there's other characters in the scene, right? And, and if their motivation isn't changing, but your character changed, right? That's talking to them. Their response has to be different. So it's just like working through all that. And it can be kind of tedious at times, but then once you, once you get it working and a lot of times what, what's nice is at least for me, when I write those really long drafts is the answer is there. It's usually just in a different chapter. And so another thing I'll do is I'll keep a running document of just like sections that I think are just really well written don't have a home right they don't land anywhere and like i had i um i had a line in my last draft something about he felt this situation was like the equivalent of facing a firing squad and hoping all the guns were blank and i liked that but where i had it in originally it just it, it seemed like an overreaction to kind of like a minute point and so i just i took it out i put it in my document and as I was reworking and then the second to last chapter, there was like a little pause, you know, and I was like, wait a minute, copy, paste, perfect, place. perfect, you know, and my agent was so excited because he's like, I saw you cut this and I really liked it. And I was hoping it wasn't gone, gone. So I'm glad you moved it here. It works much better. So you can get little happy accidents like that. No, and that makes perfect sense. I mean, let's go back to your book here, breaking in for a second. Can you tell me when you're writing a book like that, do you have inspiration to write the book or what is your inspiration when it comes to writing a book like that? I think for breaking in the inspiration for me was I wanted to write a story that I would want to read and I wanted it to combine some of my favorite genres. So breaking in is my third novel that I've completed. It's the first that I sold First that I found an agent for. My first novel was sci-fi. It was basically the equivalent of like Terminator 2, but instead of Terminators, they're aliens. So other than that, it's pretty much the same story. And then my other one is <laughs> is uh, a coming-of-age uh, story about a troubled teen delinquent who was a drug dealer, but now all those drugs are, are legal anyway. So it kind of takes away my story. So for me, um, uh, the, the inspiration was I, I wanted to write something that kind of fell in love with what with what I love. So I love filmmaking. I love heist movies. I just do. I always have. I love the buildup to a heist. And that's a formula that's not just in heist movies, you know. So my favorite movie of all time is Back to the Future. And that is essentially the same type you know it, it's it's the third act is all is all a, a plan right it's to get marty to the dance to get his dad to kiss his mom and then he can get back to the delorean to drive it up to 80 miles an hour when the lightning hits the clock tower that's the same thing as danny ocean getting arrested sneaking through the vault going down you know it's all this stuff it's it's um 
it's a scheme basically. Right. So I just, I, I love plans. I love schemes. And then coming of age, like I said, my other two, my, my other novel, both of them actually are coming of age novels. So I wanted to write something that just would kind of combine all of that. And I had an idea for, for a filmmaker that couldn't catch a break, couldn't sell their script and that they were going to work at a security company and the original idea for this novel was they were going to break into like a Costco and rob it to take all the money <laughs> and then be able to make their own film. Because I was working at a, a Stanley Security at the time. So I was working at a call center and, you know, you have access to all these all these codes and stuff. And it was like, I would never do this, but it was like, what if the, you know, what if you were so motivated? And then I was like, well, what would you do? Like, what, how do you even rob a Costco at night? Like, is there a safe? So <laughs> the idea was, so <laughs> um, I never got very far on that because the third act was always just going to be them. They break into a Costco and then they don't know what to do and they get arrested. And that's the end of the book. So I was like, well, that's not great. And also that's a bit entitled, right? For these characters to want to make a movie so bad, they just decide to go rob some somebody with the right characters. You could get behind that, but I think it would work better as a movie with some, you know, some, some goofballs as opposed to, some you know, comedic. a novel. Yeah. You know, so I just kind of started watching heist movies and just thought, well, you know what? The, the structure will kind of come to me through this. And it did because I started taking notes and that got really long handed and also really hard to read, like to go back. And I have a page of notes on uh, the lookout or or uh, the killing. And it's just all this you know paragraphs and stuff. And it's like, well, what do I do with this? So I started making a spreadsheet. And does it open on a heist? You know, is it the legendary thief gets out of jail for one last job? You know, are there are there uh, are there costumes to their to their high so all these different things and then i realized like how nerdy this really was and i thought well that's perfect somebody that would be this nerdy with their heist movie knowledge let's have this person be the one that's gonna that's gonna pull off a heist right they're gonna break the law and it's completely against anything they've they've ever done and are said to do but they have motivation millie has motivation because the script that's stolen from her is about her dad, who was a who was a thief who uh, got killed during a robbery, and she wants to kind of clear his name and show show who he really was. So there's motivation, but there's not the skill, right? And so I, I thought it would be fun for for Millie to to learn how to do it and basically to do it the same way I would do it is <laughs> right try to try to. Um, to watch these heist movies and then you know okay take that and obviously not just like okay well i can do this because i watched oceans 11 20 times i can i can walk into a casino but okay what are the different you know steps from there we have to do recon you have to have somebody that can get you inside you have to have uh you know you have to have an escape you have to have all these different elements that go into it. And that for me was just fun once I figured out like, oh, my character is going to be a 17-year-old, you know, high school student who uh, is really meticulous and really, really meticulous and uh, anal when it comes to kind of all the preparation. But heist and also filmmaking 
is there's that whole aspect too of of the book um, and, and what she wants to do. That doesn't always fall into plan, right? You can have a plan, but then it can all go to you know go to hell pretty quickly. So there's got to be a lot of improv that comes into it. So that's where Millie kind of learns and 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 starts to go, you know, is a bad pun, but off script, right? To kind of you know to figure to figure it out. So that for me was really kind of what the inspiration was. Was I want to see a story like this, and I want it to be funny. I I enjoy writing comedy. That's one thing that a lot of people have enjoyed is kind of the the wit about the book so much so where my next book after that I had to do a like a pretty good read through and and rewrite because it just it was too um too dire I guess you could say too much of a not a doubter but it wasn't as fun as breaking in is and 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 when I started writing this other book, I didn't have a, I didn't have an agent. I didn't have a contract or anything like that. So, you know, I didn't know really what was going to be, you know, my kind of writing style. And and that's something where kind of messing around with it. And, and, uh, and then yeah, from there, just kind of like, okay, well, I enjoy the humor aspect of it. And, and so do, so do the readers. So, you know, that's something where luckily I get to keep putting into into future books sure you mentioned uh you wouldn't rob a costco and i wouldn't <laughs> I, I believe i believe that maybe a sam's yeah sam's for sure i mean anything to do with walmart <laughs> but you're from minnesota so how much of your personal life and your location play into your books oh yeah i mean for the for for breaking in and a couple actually i mean Quite a bit, I would say. I I'm a Midwestern kid. Uh, you know, I was born and raised here, still live here, and that for me, I think, was a fun kind of aspect of for, for like breaking in, because it starts in New York. She goes to film school. It ends in L.A. because that's where Hollywood is, right? That's where she always wants to see herself. That's where the height. That's where one of the heights takes place. But she's coming at it from parents that that don't know anything about you know hollywood uh you know her dad is uh in construction her her mom works at a at a a grocery store and you know she likes to make easter wreaths for the local church drive you know in her free time and you know so these characters are they're not my parents and my my in-laws, but they're certainly inspired by parts of them, right? And and you know, I I think there is a lot of kind of there can be some dry humor in the Midwest that I, I like to incorporate in the in the stories. Yeah, I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> no, so yeah, I mean, for me, it's just um, I really enjoy the aspect of of writing and, and incorporating the Midwest. So Breaking In does that, my next one does, but the book that I'm working on now doesn't at all. So it's a lot of fun. It's a fun pond to, to swim in, if you will. I don't know if it's always going to be the only one. I, th- I think for me, I, I like to kind of move around. But I also like to make, I was going to say make the cities a character, but I was at BoucherCon last year and, oh, what's his name? Jordan Harper. Sorry, I was looking at my I was looking at my bookshelf. Jordan Harper, who wrote Everybody Knows, uh, he did a a panel, and I think his was about like writing about like uh, the city as a character, and, and and he was like, well, 
L.A. isn't really a character in my book because L.A. never changes. Cities don't have to change, right? They get to stay stagnant and we change because of them. So for me, I think it was, you know, that was kind of fun of of, uh, as Millie's progressing through the story and things are really getting out of hand. She's coming to realize, you know, also that she has kind of these Midwest roots and 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 kind of is out of her element right she, that she has been kind of <laughs> kind of overwhelmed and and it's kind of figuring that out but also at the same time kind of remembering where she comes from and that she is loved and that you know kind of gives her the confidence to uh, to to push forward so let me take a, a slight turn here you mentioned okay. this being your your first book that you signed a contract and had an agent yep. and so forth and they also put out an audiobook. Mm-hmm. How much involvement did you have in the audiobook? So I got to pick the two narrators that do the reading, and they are absolutely fantastic. So it was a male and a female, and I got four of each essentially with with links. And so I listened to them, and I said, you know, I like I like these two actors. And I think within a week they they were hired, you know. So so that was really cool. So I was involved in that aspect. I'll be completely honest though, I didn't know when they recorded it. I never talked to any of the actors or anything like that, and and that was fine. It was just that I later learned that the version of that's recorded is the second to last version before we went to publish so for the for the print copy so there's like a there's like maybe five lines in the audiobook that i took out that are in the audiobook that i wouldn't have kept those in there but <laughs> <laughs> whatever it's fine so i mean i got to be involved but at the same time it was also really nice just to like know that like that was being done off in the wings, <laughs> right? And then all of a sudden, it was like you know the the day it comes out, I was like, oh, I, I have to hear this, you know. And it actually took me a while to to listen to it because I don't know anybody that like is a hundred percent like done done with a book and they're like, oh yeah, no, I'm a hundred percent, yeah, I nailed it. I totally nailed. There's ninety thousand words in there and I got every single one right. It's amazing. <laughs> I was nervous that I was going to listen to it and I was going to be like, I wish I could change that or is this weird or whatnot. And I think it's because I had, you have the, the narrators, right. And they're, they're acting, they're performing. I was able just to kind of relax and go with it. You know, um, for the most part, I listened to it. My wife and I listened to it when I was driving and I think that helped too. So I couldn't like leave the room <laughs> or something, you know? So, so that was a fun aspect of it because it just was kind of like on publication day by that point, I mean, I had, I, I was done with the edit, but you know, the, the line edits and all that stuff. I mean, that was, that was quite a bit, you know, especially for my first one, just kind of figuring out all of that. And then here's this audio book that I really didn't have to do anything about except say, I like these two voices. Right. And they're like, cool, here it is. It's kind of like a radio play of the book you wrote. So that, that was a lot of fun. Was it exciting when you first heard it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And it was, it's a lot of fun hearing which words they put emphasis on, right? Which words that, you know, have maybe more, more meaning than I necessarily put on them. So 
I just enjoyed kind of being able to hear somebody else's interpretation of it. Also, the main narrator, she does a Midwestern accent, and Millie's mom is like perfection. Well, she also took on voices and stuff for it. I mean, she changed character. Oh, absolutely. Yep. And so she would, so for, for Millie's mom, but then I was mentioning the crew, right? So there's four four of them total in, in the crew. And a lot of times there are scenes where they argue with each other. Like they do their first table read for the heist. And, you know, they're kind of arguing back and forth. And writing it, I never stopped to think about like, oh, like if you would have performers, you'd have four people in the room, right? You know, I'm just making sure everybody's got the dialogue and stuff. So yeah, she voiced all four of those, you know, characters. <laughs> so she'd be having an argument and, and with herself basically. Right. So yeah, she did. She did great. Jesse Valinsky and Patrick Layler. They are both fantastic. Yep. So more important than your thoughts of it, what did your wife think? You know, she loved it. I, you know, who knows, <laughs> right? I'm her husband, you know. Well, I know um, my wife doesn't, you know, typically support the things I do. I mean, she supports it. Don't get me wrong. She just sure. doesn't agree with half of the creative decisions. She, yeah. My wife's name is Tess. She is definitely on board and, and she, she reads it all, you know, when I have a draft done, I don't let her read like the first four drafts. It's usually like what I'm about to send to my agent. That's when I send her a draft. But she, you know, I, I, she's very supportive. And I like to, I find myself putting more humor into the books because I like when she laughs and I'm like, oh, okay, good. She says I'm her favorite author. I'm not. Her favorite author is J. Ryan Straddle. And he is also a Midwestern writer. He wrote like The Lager Queen of Minnesota. What's his famous one? Kitchens of the Midwest. That was that was a very popular one. So yeah, like we we went to his book signing. She she's constantly laughing whenever like I get super jealous. I don't even think I've read his new one yet because I'm just like I don't even want to. But he's he's a fantastic writer. He's and he's very, very funny. So yes, she says she she says she loves it. I think she loves me and we'll never know the truth. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, you say you add humor for your wife's benefit. What do you hope people take away from your, your writing? You know, honestly, I just want them to enjoy themselves. I just want them to have spent a couple hours reading an interesting story, uh, a fun story that, you know, there are a lot of elements in my books that get people to think, you know, that, that touch on real world issues, but I don't want it to be again, you know, like, Oh, this is my mission statement, right? You know, this is, uh, these are, you know, my views on the world. They're in there, you know, you don't have to look super hard to find them, but I really just want a reader to be thankful. They, they, they found the book, you know, I've, I, I read a lot. About half the time, I'm like, eh, <laughs> I don't know so much about this. But actually, I will tell you this. At the start of my career, I got more motivated by what I deemed bad books because other people don't because they got published, right? So I, I, I want to be clear about that, that you know, just because I didn't like them doesn't mean other people won't. Sure. But I really didn't like them, and I really couldn't believe how they got published. And then I was like, but if they can get published, somebody's got to give me a chance, right? <laughs> you know? Really, really. I mean, that that that's kind of 
is what what um, kept me going for those you know first two books that I couldn't get an agent for you know and I did the querying and I did all that and I sent over I think for those two books I probably queried over 250 people you know and I got requests and I got reads but nobody signed me you know and now looking back at it like I'm I'm th- I'm really thankful that those weren't my debuts you know like those wouldn't have been the books that. I would want out there, you know, breaking in, I think is the best kind of version of the author that I'd like to be. And when I say that, I mean that I am, but people have to go buy the books, (laughs) right. For me to continue on it to to keep getting published. But I mean, it really kind of incorporates everything that I'm, I'm, that I like in books that I like in story. And, um, you know, I just want I just want the same for whoever picks up my book just to just to enjoy it and to be able to escape for a few hours. No, as a creative, I can definitely understand that and relate to it. Tell me what was going through your mind the very first time you did a book signing. Oh, I, I hoped I spelled their name right. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I just have like terrible penmanship and I'm just, I'm also just a, a really bad speller and I'm also really bad at remembering people's names. So the first <laughs> the first book I signed was one of my friends from high school's mom. And like I'm still friends with 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 her daughter, like good friends. Like I was I was actually roommates in with her in college for for a little bit. So like I I've known her for I've known my friend for over 20 years. I've known her mom for like 20 years. I could not remember if her mom's name was Susan or Suzanne because I hadn't seen her like in eight years, you know? <laughs> so the very first time I signed a book and a book signing was for her. And I opened it up and I'm just like, is, I cannot remember what it is. So then I was like, okay, and um, can, you, can you spell it for me? And she just goes, Susan. <laughs> And that was it. Not, you know, just just Susan, like you spell Susan, you know how to do that. I was like, oh right, yeah, okay. So, yeah, yeah. So that was kind of like I'd be in the same spot you are. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know. There's there's a lot of people. So I will never forget her name. Also, in my defense, because she was Susan and my other friend Mike, his mom was Suzanne. So that's I think part of the issue. In case you're in case Susan, you're listening. That's why. But. Yeah, you know, it's cool. It's it's really cool. It's a, I mean, it's humbling. Uh, I had my first book signing at Once Upon a Crime, uh, which is a small crime bookstore here in Minneapolis, and it was it's in a it's in a basement of a building, and fitting. Yeah, and it's not it's not huge, and I think I had like thirty people there or so, and yeah, a lot of family, but you know, also some people that I. I didn't know. And that's more exciting. You're just like, Oh my gosh, you're a complete stranger that just heard about this and said, why not? Like, you're my hero, <laughs> dude. Like, that's so cool. So, so that was fun to like, talk to, to talk to other people that like, I just met there, you know, told you know, they heard about it based upon the discussion. It sounds like something they're going to be into. So that stuff's really fun to kind of uh, find your people. I wrote this book, because it's something I wanted to read. And I think that's important, right? That you you write stuff that you would actually read and that you like, you know, and, but then to find other people that can nerd out with you and, and, uh, you know, find it exciting. That's, that's super cool. So that's, that's definitely been the best part of any kind of 
public appearances or but but just anything really the the, the whole gamut of just you know finding someone like my favorite memory was i was up at a bookstore in duluth and um there was a a girl and her dad and she was she was probably like 15 16 she was she was kind of shy and uh I think the dad was trying to encourage her to, to pick up a book, right. To do more reading. So he's like, can you, can you, you know, it's got a, it's got a movie camera on it. So you like movies. Can you tell us what your, you know, books about? So I told them and the, the, the girl, she just like her mouth just dropped, you know, she just, her eyes went bug wide, you know? And, and again, she didn't talk to me, but the dad was like, well, you like to make short films too. This is perfect. This, you know, and, 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 she was just so excited, you know, when, when I gave her the book. I think, she, I don't know if she talked at all, to be honest with you, but the look on her face, I remember just thinking like, oh, cool. And, and then I also remember like, I hope I don't mess this up for her. Like, I hope she digs it. <laughs> you know, there, there's a little bit of responsibility there when, you know, when they, when they really dig the hook of, of what the book's about, right? And they're like, oh, man, yeah, that's right up my alley. You know, and then you're like, oh, okay, well... I hope so. <laughs> I it's hope a lot I did different it right. when there's a face to it, right? Yeah, totally. But no, it's been it's been fun to to kind of speak with people and and to, to talk about writing. Now, do you read when you're at these signings? I read at the first one because so I had my professor Sheila O'Connor, who's a great writer as well, and she she like um, was kind of like my host. Uh, so she asked me questions and she kept saying, you need to read. You you really need to read. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I don't want to read. It's my first one. I'm going to be nervous. Let me just go there and answer. I'll answer your questions and I'll, I'll sign the books and that'll be it. Right. And like the day before she went to some other signing and they did a reading and she was like, so she texted me like four hours before the book signing. And she's like, Tyler, you really need to read. I think it's vital. I was like, okay, so, you know, three hours, four hours before I'm, you know, going to have my first book signing, I'm, I'm reading my book to say like, well, what would be good to read out loud, you know, and I had a couple of ideas already. And so I, I read a few times that afternoon and then I read at the signing, it went great. You know, I was happy to do it. And then I saw Sheila at another book signing at once upon a crime like maybe like a month later and there was no reading and that was the first thing sheila said to me she's like yeah i guess not everybody reads and i was like yeah i know i told you i told you for like two months that i didn't have to read so i i haven't i haven't since then but that was the only one where it was like with an audience of like question and answers that kind of stuff the, my other book signings have been this is Tyler. He wrote a book. He's just sitting in the corner. Please go say hi to him. Right. But those are fun too. I, I enjoy those as well. Well, then you usually get the people who aren't familiar with you and that become new fans. So that's always good too. Mm-hmm. How much of the book did you actually read? Oh, it was like, I think it was like three pages, three or four pages or so. It was about, it was like 14 minutes, something like that. So yeah, a little bit, probably a little bit longer than I wanted to, but I also don't want to like, stop mid-scene, you know, and right. just like, that's my time. Um, <laughs> Sorry. That's it. Yeah, that's it for me. Uh, yeah, but I, I want to say this is probably about 15 minutes or so. All right, sir. Well, we do this thing here we call Unsung Heroes, where we take a moment to shine the light on somebody who works behind the scenes or somebody who supported you along the way. Is there anybody you'd like to shine a little light on? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll take this opportunity to give a big shout out to my wife. She has been super supportive. She always has been. I, I you know, I've been writing fiction for well, 13 years now or so. And, you know, basically it's just like all of a sudden one day I was like, I want to be a novelist. And so what that means is, you know, for like six, seven hours on the weekends every day, I'm just going to go disappear. And please don't come and ask me anything because I'll make a really big deal about it and say like, I was just getting into it. And she's just always been extremely supportive, but also really understanding and knowing that, you know, it's something that isn't going to happen overnight. It's not like it is in the movies where you write a book and it becomes a bestseller and like, you know, and it's released in three months and kind of stuff, you know, it, it takes, it takes months and years and it's editing and it's wins, but it's more losses, right. than wins at the, at, at the beginning, at least. And she's just always been there to be supportive and to, encouraged me to to get here so there's there's absolutely no way i'd be here without her a big thanks to tyler for taking the time to share his stories with us and thank you for taking the time to hang with me as always i really do appreciate it if you could please follow share and connect on all the socials you could even tell a friend i'd appreciate that too you could do all of this and find the links to everything mentioned over at jfranzi.com slash episode 54 Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to The Jay Franzi Show. Make sure you visit us at jfranzi.com. Follow, connect, and say hello. This episode has been brought to you by VR Knives. Your source for 100% custom knives made by a true rock star. So if you're in the market for a new piece of art, reach out to VR Knives. 407-421-5528. 407-421-5528.